It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's Columbus Day weekend. Holidays tomorrow. And it makes me think of, obviously, October is the heart of fall through most of the states north of the Mason-Dixon line. And then November is for those a little further south. So what I'd like to do this morning is is kind of talk about the magic of leaves and don't think I've lost it. No, the magic of leaves and how their colors can stimulate the mind and the spirit. And, and they just, uh, it, it's so spectacular to be in search of what I call silver maples. And many, many years ago, I guess this love affair I have with the out, outdoors really cemented itself when I made a journey following the flight of waterfowl from north to south, which pretty much meant I followed the turning of the color of leaves as fall progressed from northern Manitoba all the way to the Gulf Coast of Louisiana. And I think October in the Midwest is, is the most special of all months. Generally, the weather is okay, but every time you step outside, there's a new tapestry of colors, a new rainbow of just incredible oaks and maples and walnuts and hickories and elms and ash. Of course, the ash had been really whacked by the by the ash boring beetle, but the colors are, are willows are so spectacular. And I thought what I'd maybe do this morning is take a little journey with you, since. In the fall, we spend a lot of time on the roads often. People are driving from Chicago, the upper Midwest, to to the places they're going in the south. Or if you're out hunting, you're spending time in the woods. Or if you're fishing, you're looking at the magnificent colors along the lake shores. And it all started for me maybe many, many years ago, the appreciation of it on a small farm in northeastern Illinois when the duck season would start and you go out in the morning and the the willows were just that incredible color of yellow with the frost hard on them as the sun came up. And off in the distance were maples and of course the oaks turn later and they don't have the, the they don't have the brightness of 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 silver maples and and birch. But it was those early fall crisp mornings on a marsh on a small farm in northeastern Illinois where I really came to appreciate the colors of fall. And then some 30 years ago, I uh, had the pleasure of really greeting fall in the Arctic. And so if you think about the progression of fall, and if, if I was to do one thing, I think it would be to start with the colors and end with the colors. Go as far north as you can. In this case, the tundra of Alaska. And the tundra begins to turn and actually in late August, but let's just say it really is turning in, in, in the beginning of September. And the drive from Delta Junction, which is south of Fairbanks, down to Anchorage is, is in early September, in the first week of September, is one of the most incredible drives I've ever made. 
the fall colors and the trees, the birches and the and the the willows, the little ptarmigan willows, and then of course the tundra and the air is so clear and the drive from Delta Junction to Anchorage among the best I've ever seen for fall colors. And then I think about the fall colors that I've seen across Saskatchewan and northern Manitoba. Again, it's early October, late September, up in the pond, Flinflon, it's late September when you drive down these rutted two tracks on your way to bird hunt and the and the aspens have grown close against the road. It's not even a road, it's a trail. And and they they waver in that crystal clear sunshine of, of northern Manitoba and the leaves just shaking and the, the, the vibrancy of the colors, it, it takes your breath away. And then you reach the edge of a, of a muskedge march and the cattails are turning and the willows are, are flaming. Uh, and off in the distance are a whole bunch of birch along the sides of hills. Everything is just, it's an explosion of colors and the air is so clear. And you move across the Saskatchewan prairie and the rolling hills and the color of the angle of the sun on the fall wheat stubble. It's just magical, and and I guess there's there's perhaps no more magical place than being in the mountains, being in high in the mountains in Idaho or Colorado or Montana when, again, the aspens and maples start to turn. And so I sort of call, you know, this in search of silver maples, but it's a lot more than that. And the crystal mountain, clear mountain air, and then I've driven so many times from Chicago up into Manitoba and back and going through Minnesota in early October, late September, and then returning in mid-October through the Sandhill country of, of Wisconsin along the Mississippi River. There is, there is just nothing like it. And so as I think here this morning talking about some of the things that we can do in the outdoors or love to do in the outdoors, I don't think we actually pay enough attention to the great thrill and the ease of just getting on a bicycle and riding with the fall colors. And in Illinois, we we have the Mississippi River and we have the Illinois River. And if you have not been in a car or a bike or walked along the rivers in October, you, you've missed something incredibly special. And not that far from Chicago is, is where the Illinois bends and Hennepin Hopper. And if I could recommend one place within an easy drive of, of Chicago, it would be go to Hennepin. And take a walk down the Illinois River in mid-October. Usually the third week in October is about its peak. And the silver maples are just, they're so resplendent. And the crisp fall air. And then you can continue down later in the month and move to the center part of the state. And we don't think of southern Illinois necessarily as having great colors. Shawnee National Forest, unbelievable colors in the Shawnee National Forest. And then obviously on down the Mississippi you can go you can go the length of the continent, I guess, and, and just continue to see follow the frost line and continue to see the colors. And I, and I don't think that New England has anything on us. If we you know, New England's got a great tourism industry. Come to New England and see the great fall colors. Northern Wisconsin, Illinois River, Wisconsin River, on through northwestern Minnesota, on down the Illinois. Phenomenal. So this fall, if you have the chance, it's all just beginning. Yes, Minnesota's colors have already peaked. Wisconsin's are peaking now. But get in the car, get on a bike, and just take in something that's free. 
It's free. It's the colors of fall, the magic of fall. And if you happen to be following a bird dog with a shotgun, well, it's even more magical. But you don't have to be. It's definitely the most magical month in the outdoors. And at every turn, there's a surprise. And when I think of the fall colors I've seen from one end of this continent to the other, I think how lucky I've been. And yet it's so easy to do. I'll be back in just a moment with much more on the great outdoors. And when I come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about the feelings of sportsmen and women over this potentially this thing called R3. Thanks so much for being with me. I'll be right back. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And now a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert. Sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are. Communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And as I went to the break, sitting here in the the dark of the studio, I'm thinking it's just there's just something so magical about this time of the year. And even if you're on the interstate highway system driving east to west rather than north to south, it's it's the time of the year to be out. And at any chance you can in October, grab it because come the winds of November, it's not the same. Speaking of something that's not the same, I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about the perception of people who spend a lot of time hunting and fishing, particularly hunting, and the conflicts with a program that is drawing national attention because it's being driven by the state governments and the federal governments, this program called R3, Recruit, Retain, Reactivate Hunters. It's a program that was conceived by the bureaucracy that are concerned about a potential loss in revenues and political influence as the percentage of hunters in the population declines. So there is a a belief, and it's statistically valid, that the age of men and women going hunting is, is older every year and that we are not recruiting the next generation to follow us. There's complete, total agreement with that, that we are getting older, and that young individuals, whether they be kids or young adults, are not coming into the shooting sports, hunting fields, the way we did a generation ago, 
or two generations ago. And that's about where the agreement ends. So as you go afield this fall, whether it's fishing for muskie or opening the duck season in Illinois or the Wisconsin season opened, or you're going to go chase grouse, or you're going to go pheasant hunting, or you're going to get in the woods and try to shoot a deer, or if you're listening to this on a podcast maybe and you're in the American West and you want to go shoot an elk or an antelope or even a deer, I'll ask the rhetorical question of when you pull into the parking area to park your car, do you think that there are too few or too few or too many cars at that parking area? When you put your boat in the water and you canoe down the Wisconsin River to a favorite island, are you hoping that there'll be somebody already set up there with decoys? Or if you're going to be putting up a deer stand in a uh, public hunting area in Illinois or anywhere in America, are you hoping that there'll be other people close to you putting up deer stands or maybe having put up a deer stand in the tree next to you? Of course not. And yet, that is the situation that we face today. It's very hard to find anybody who goes hunting on public land that is looking for more people to hunt with them on public land, or frankly, who is looking for more people to fish with them on a trout stream. Going to Yellowstone Park, Yellowstone Park, a million visitors a month this summer. Places where you had complete solitude fishing, not shoulder to shoulder, but certainly you're seeing people you never saw before. If you're trying to hunt on private lands, knock on a farmer's door or a rancher's door. I'd like to run my dogs and hunt. Do you mind? Oh, I'm sorry. It's leased. That's the refrain. 25 years ago in North Dakota, I can personally attest there wasn't anything posted. It was a wide open state. If the land wasn't posted, you could hunt on it. You didn't have to ask permission. Now, if it has anything on it with a pulse, whether it be a deer, a duck, a grouse, a pheasant, it's posted because it's leased. How do we square the notion that we need to recruit a lot more hunters because we're aging out with the fact that we have too many hunters on too little land today. It seems to me that you almost have to have this, this canyon between the two. There can't be a smooth transition. Those of us who've been at it a while, when we age out, we're gonna stop. And we're not looking today for a bunch of people to be in the woods or on the waters or in the fields on top of us because we've changed. In Arkansas, they have passed a law that you cannot hunt on the Biomeda, the number one public hunting area if you have an out-of-state license, except on Thursdays and Sundays. They did that because there are far too many people trying to hunt the public lands, and they come from all over America. We are a highly mobile society. And I thought, I'm thinking back to my trip to Alaska now nearly a month ago, and I'm visiting with the guy who runs our camp that we stayed in. And a moose permit 
is for a non-resident is a once in a lifetime deal. There are so many people applying to hunt in the American West and in Alaska for so little game that you draw a tag for a moose once in your life, for a bear once in your life. You're not a moose hunter. If once in 50 years you have the opportunity to go shoot a moose, you're not a bear hunter. If the same thing is true, and what about elk? You can wait five, six, seven years or longer to get a tag to go shoot a bull elk. How can we consider this a sustainable situation when there is when there already are far too many people trying to pursue far too little game? And we're terribly mobile. I use the word terribly mobile in a positive sense there. You can hunt ducks today in Nebraska and tomorrow in Louisiana, and the next day you can be in Kansas, and lots of people do that. The same with pheasants. Go to South Dakota. How many people hunt in Illinois anymore? We don't. We hardly have any pheasants. The, pop, the population, the, the, the harvest of pheasants in Illinois is something like 10% of what it was in the 1970s. And the harvest of quail, I've, I've won a lot of bets on this. We used to shoot more quail and pheasants in Illinois by a significant number. The quail harvest in Illinois is down over 90%. You don't, we don't have this. So if you're still interested, you're traveling and you're piling in on top of the other people who are traveling, plus the people who live there. So I, I think the, the, the question really is, we have, a, we have a clear problem in front of us. Where are tomorrow's hunters gonna come from? but we have an equal reality in front of us. We arguably have too many hunters today for the opportunities that are available due to development, loss of natural resources, and the same is true of fishing in so many places. I don't pretend to have the answer. I just this morning, as we think about moving into the high gear of hunting season, I think about do the individuals pushing this, do they have it right? Have they, have they really done their homework to understand the current world? Because recruiting a lot more hunters in today's world is, is not something that's going to be, is supported and is not something that can be sustained. There's no right answer. There's no easy answer, but the states are going to have to get over the fact that it's about money because it needs to be about quality of experience, not about money. But states generally think about revenue first and quality second. Thanks so much for listening. When I'm back next week, I'll have had a little bit of a whirlwind tour on the outdoors, and I'll report for it, plus some issues that are taking place nationally. Thank you for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.